0: Hi, I'm Claire, and you're listening to the Talk Carby to Me podcast.
1: We are live now. So welcome to the show. My dearest friend, Claire, aka Sarah. I don't know which one version we got today, but uh, I'm going to just say we have both of them.
0: I guess, I guess we'll find out. It is an honor to be here, Anthony.
1: Yes. Welcome to the Talk Carby to Me show. We're back off hiatus, and I'm happy to be back. Got a good topic today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about some things with nutrition, exercise, fertility, some aspects of being a new mother and what that process looks like. Um, and of course, uh, under the guise of that, that's going to be about 10 minutes of content. The rest of the hour is probably going to be all about Taylor Swift.
0: Fantastic. I'm so ready. Look, I even, I'm, I'm really ready.
1: Oh, that, that's, <laughs> so that's from, so that's the merch from the movies.
0: Yeah. So I went to the Eras tour movie last night and I brought back the merch, so I figured I would, I would just have it here, you know, with us today.
1: So what was that experience like as someone who's been to the actual tour?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So I, so they recorded that movie in SoFi stadium in LA where, where she played six shows and I actually went to night three in LA. So where they were recording was exactly like what I experienced in real life. Um, But my seats were like 300 level, like, I mean, still, you could still see everything like the screens make it, you know, make it a great experience. But to watch it back, um, like as a movie and get like all those close ups and like see her interactions with the dancers and it was just this really meta thing of like, I know that I was there and I was immersed in the experience, but I'm really grateful that like this content exists so that I can see it from like an incredibly different perspective, if that makes sense.
1: It, it does. A lot of it's kind of like uh, if you were to go to the Super Bowl and then you end up watching the Super Bowl highlights.
0: Yes. Coming off yeah. of
1: that, you see different perspectives. That's awesome. Uh, I did not see a show live uh honestly i probably will not watch uh the movie although it's not a hard no but it's somewhere in the middle
0: well what about when it gets sold to streaming will you watch it when it's on streaming
1: it depends on the kind of hoops that i have to jump through and what i have going on i'm not opposed to it
0: okay i would commend it to you it's a great it's a great time
1: yeah so what was the crowd experience like was it like a concert like were people singing and stuff
0: no, not really. Like, so I mean, we went on November fifth, which is like three three to four weeks after it was released. And I think those first two weekends were really where you had like the parties happening in the in the screenings. This was more of like like I was sitting next to like obviously a boyfriend that had been drugged there by his girlfriend kind of thing. But I mean, it was still a pretty full theater for a Sunday night. and like there I think a lot of us were like mouthing the words and like kind of beep bop it, you know, like trying not to be a distraction, but um, I mean I definitely wanted to get up and dance. I just like restrained myself because it wasn't the vibe in the theater.
1: Yeah, I've been to a couple of events in a theater where the energy was extraordinary, I guess I'll put it that way. Uh a couple of the Star Wars reboots or not reboots. Oh, yeah, back, But when they brought back like the second trilogy back in the day, you had like Jedi robes and lightsabers everywhere. Uh, the Avengers movies. One of my buddies insists on going to movies as soon as they come out, like opening night. So Uh, spoiler alert, uh, in Endgame when Iron Man dies, you know, everyone like, you could audibly hear like sniffles of like everyone there was just straight up adults, but you could hear like sniffles and like people getting uncomfortable. Um, A couple tears were shed during that, uh, which was kind of awesome to see. So I I would expect that level of energy um, from Taylor Swift. Her movie as well
0: yeah it was an incredible experience i can't can't wait to stream it at home and share it with everybody that walks through my door
1: <laughs> yeah so she's basically so there was a, a viral topic that went uh maybe about a month or two ago uh that men apparently randomly think of the roman empire all the time uh, for some men it's four times a day four times a week uh, but in some capacity where it's something that's always existing And uh, you had a lot of girls on TikTok showing their significant other, like, "Hey, like, how often do you think of the Roman Empire?" And these guys had legitimate, like, answers. So we now have, or we now know, what the Roman Empire equivalent is for women.
0: Taylor Swift.
1: It's Taylor Swift. It's
0: Taylor Swift. I mean, she is the monoculture right now. So,
1: right? It's like, who is she dating? She's now infiltrated the NFL. What up? Like, what's next?
0: Well, she's a billionaire with a B, let, let all know who didn't previously.
1: Shout out to Taylor becoming a billionaire. That,
0: yeah,
1: I'm surprised it took this long, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, well, she and her team like own so much of their stuff now and like they have their own production and they're not outsourcing anything anymore. And so I think the reason it didn't happen sooner is because they were outsourcing so much prior to this. Oh, you're going to get a going to get a dog bomb. Sorry. Hell.
1: I, I would love to hear the dogs' take on uh, <laughs> Taylor Swift and the Roman Empire, for sure. Um, so I'm super happy to have you here. One of the topics that I wanted to talk to you, or talk to you about um, being fertility, right, and how it affects you know the individual and at scale when you look at civilization and things like that with emerging markets like AI and kind of the general direction that humanity is kind of going right now. Uh, obviously, most most of the channel is Hey, here's just some solid information from people who have experience with the topic that we're discussing, um, and I think you add a lot of add a lot of good what's the word good context and information to uh, this topic. So, um, first off, though, on this specific topic, uh, this will be a show. First, I'm going to read a disclaimer, uh, so please note that the content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only based on the personal experiences and publicly available information. It is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for professional medical consultation, diagnosis, or treatment. For any concerns or questions about your health and how nutrition and exercise may affect your fertility, we strongly encourage you to speak with a healthcare professional. Yeah, there you go. Thank you cover our bases here, right? So we are not doctors, obviously, I'm a personal trainer and nutrition coach. And like seven other things, Claire uh, is personal trainer and nutrition coach as well. Um, She just has personal experience with the subject. So,
0: Yeah, thank you for that.
1: So in terms of worldwide fertility and birth rate, um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So fertility, like, I'm probably going to say this several times throughout the podcast is so complicated. Um, and everybody's experience is extremely individual and unique. So that's like the first and last thing I want everybody to hear. Um, but on more of like a meta level, like in terms of like the earth and birth rates and the way technology is influencing fertility, on the one hand, you've got, this is the best time in our in our lives or in anybody's life to to have a fertility struggle because of the way that because of the advances in medical care and in technology and things like that in the way that we can figure out exactly what's causing the infertility because it can be caused by so many different things and then troubleshoot those things. And there's so many options for pregnancy and birth and parenthood now. Um, so that's like one end of the pendulum swing. And then the other end is the massive amounts of misinformation out there about fertility and infertility and what causes it, what doesn't, what helps, what doesn't and um, what power you have yourself over your own fertility um, and what might need like actual medical intervention.
1: Yeah, for sure. The, it's almost like nowadays, we have almost a abundance of information to the degree that it's almost detrimental. Um, when you look at certain diets, health concerns, health issues, you can literally find a justification for either side of the argument on almost any sphere of topic. Um, and it's almost too, and a lot of it is overwhelming. Um, I think even going through and preparing for this episode, doing some research, update, getting some updated data, uh, because declining birth rates is something that I've talked about before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, even using chat GPT and AI, referencing studies, skimming through studies, looking at articles and publications, like it still took, I still spent over three hours like looking at stuff. So um, a lot of that for and for someone who is dealing with that, say you're dealing with infer, infertility personally, you know, you go to your doctor, uh, one would hope, um, but you also, you're going to look at some stuff up. Maybe there's a book out there, someone's going to have this take, someone's going to have another take that worked really well for them. So. Uh, it's very interesting, definitely to say the least with the, the amount of information that we just have at our fingertips.
0: Yeah, it can be overwhelming and disorienting. So I think that's a really good point.
1: So on the topic of fertility birth rates at scale, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when you look at birth rates, um, I did some digging and one of the reasons that this topic is particularly fascinating to me is because of the emergence of artificial intelligence um that we have going on at scale right now in the world you've seen some governments come together and have conferences and talk about uh the concern of it being too dangerous and whatnot um you have arguments on both sides that are pretty solid obviously you have the plot to terminator and Skynet being the argument against where hey you know robots might take over and we become the thing that robots neutralize you also have the arguments where there might be issues or things that we're dealing with, whether it be the economy and the medical field in science advancement and things like that, that AI can help us put together because it can process information so quickly. Um, so looking through this, as far as like, when we look at birth rate, it's kind of what number do we want to have the population be at replacement level? So that means, excuse me, if a, a couple has a child um it's the number of children to replace the parents when the parents inevitably die um that number is usually about 2.1 worldwide and currently it's sitting at
0: 1.7 and that's over what span of time like when did the average shift
1: so i had i looked at data from 1960 to now um the last updates the last estimates that i was seeing are from earlier this year now obviously it's good. It's a good thing to note why that number has dropped a little bit. Because obviously, if you look in 1960, or even go back before then, when you had a family, chances are it was less industrialized, you might have been on a farm, When you needed workers, you just created one, for the most part, and you had people grow up on farms. That's why you see the child, the family size so large back in the day, flash forward to today, uh, with changes in our industrialization with changes in women, a part, woman participation in the economy, and the workforce, the workplace, uh, also different changing social norms has changed um, that number a little bit, right? So one of the things that we would want to see is one over 2.1, right? So the parents can be replaced, the population can sustain itself. A lot of people think um, they're on the vein of the Terminator plot, like I was just saying, where it's like, hey, eventually robots become self sustainable, they kill off the humans i look at it as a different way if we know now that our birth rate is lower than where we are uh, where we should be for a replacement level mathematically speaking there's a, a gap there and that gap's just going to widen so an estimate is about the back half of the 21st century you're going to have the population start to decline all right the greatest start to civilization is probably population collapse so when that happens you have ai now That can do a lot of jobs that humans used to be able to do. There, if you look around everyday life, there are tons of things that AI computers can do now, right? So it's estimated about 30% of the workforce currently can be replaced by AI. And that's just at its early infancy, right? So obviously that number is gonna change drastically. So we might accidentally be strolling into a situation where we're opening the door to have no choice but to have AI infiltrate the workforce more than it already has. Um, do, do you look at, have you messed with ChatGPT, looked at it, the AI stuff, what it can do?
0: I, I will tell you my extent of Chat Beach, uh, Chat GPT. It is, I've listened to a lot of podcasts on it and, you know, I read about it a lot, but I, I honestly, I stay away from it. Um, there is something about it that I am just like not willing to touch. It is fascinating to me, but also kind of terrifying. So.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things. I I use it at this point. I use it pretty much every day. Okay. Uh, Like I just completed real estate school. Yeah. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. That was one of the things that helped me get through it. Um, A lot of people use it for various things. I think the the, the best case for it is research, right? So every podcast episode I have, when I have a topic, I'll get context from ChatGPT uh, especially if you need something quick, it shortens what usually takes, you know, might take a day shortens into about like 10, 15 minutes. Of course you can prompt it in here. You, know, you can prompt it with things like, Hey, I need you to argue from the point of devil's advocate. I need you to argue from the point of inspirational. I need you to any kind of thing that you throw in there. Uh, it'll respond. Um, looking at like, fertility rates worldwide. Um, so I was curious to see what would pop up as the top 10 fertility rates in the world. Uh, We did an episode on blue zones a while back. So I figure blue zones, people live a really long time. They have really healthy diets. They're active. I'm sure one of them is going to be on this list. It actually was not on the top 10, not one of them. Um, so historical data on high fertility rates. So you have Niger, Angola, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Mali, Chad, Uganda, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Somalia, and Mozambique were the top 10 uh, fertility rates in the world.
0: Like, and you're using the terms fertility rate and birth rate interchangeably, just to confirm?
1: For what I just said, that is fertility rate. Uh, but, but they are very, kind of yes, but not specifically. Yeah, sure, sure,
0: sure, yeah.
1: Um, so right off the bat, what stood out to me was none of these places are very industrialized.
0: Nope. You know what else they, most of them don't have access to birth control.
1: It's true. Right. Contraception is one of those things, um, that has both helped society, but in the context of what we're talking about, it is obviously something that limits, uh, the ability to reproduce. Uh, but yeah, I was very surprised by that. And then when you look on the flip side, historical data on low fertility rates, you have South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan. Hong Kong, Spain, Italy, Japan, Portugal, Greece, and Poland.
0: Which is where three out of the five original blue zones um, are located. So yeah, that's fascinating. But I, I do think it makes a ton of sense be just based on like the values of those cultures. So if you're looking at those top 10 high fertility rates, primarily in Africa, those are going to be, by and large, much more like agronomical, um societies that still do rely on a younger workforce and a lot of help like around the farm or um the the town or the village or whatever and they're not going to have as much access to healthcare and preventative medicine or preventative you know uh, birth prevention either so it makes it it does make a lot of sense
1: yeah for sure and The other thing too that stands out when when we we say like the when i when i say like industrialization right um what comes with the civil a civilization that's very very industrialized is a lot of processing in their diet yes um i'm willing to bet that every single one of these top 10 predominantly probably more than half right they still operate in some capacity on a smaller scale hunter-gatherer type operation um where food is fresher it's more available Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying everyone is a hunter-gatherer. Obviously, I'm just saying uh, it would look very different than what you look at um, today in our agricultural system in the United States.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But yeah, in that top ten, about five to seven women, or five to seven children per woman, um, is the range for those top ten. For the bottom ten, they are well below two. Yeah. So, uh, well, there was actually an article done. Uh, Japan's population has already started the decline. And one of the reasons for that one is economic, Uh, it's very expensive to raise a child. Um, I looked it up the cost of actually bringing a child into the world up to age 17, excluding college costs is about 13 to $14,000. And obviously, that's going to vary depending on, you know, your lifestyle and choices and things like that, and probably the the region of the world that you live in. But um, it's definitely a wild stat to see. Um, And it's definitely something that's concerning
0: yeah 100%. It's been happening in Japan for a long time actually.
1: Yeah, so they're on the they're on the downturn. We're approaching uh, the downturn, the point where we will start um, to drop below because uh, we're right now we're at right about 1.7 and we need 2.1 birth rate to keep that in place. Um, yeah, so one of the things um, that obviously plays a big role in this, so I've been researching this looking at things, nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, all come up um, almost every single time. Um, so I want to get your take as far as when you look at nutrition, um, I think it, and, and exercise even, it's understood, you know, obviously, the less body fat that you have on your body, generally, your health indicators are going to look better. Um, your risk, risk factors go down. Right. It's one of those understood things. So, and when, in terms of fertility, fertility specifically, um, what are some things that you've seen and kind of interacted with?
0: Yeah. So, um, once again, I'll just say, I am not a medical professional. I'm a nutrition coach and a personal trainer with my own experience with infertility. So I'm going to speak from my own experience and then from my experience with my clients, um, and the research that I've done, but that is the extent of my. ability to speak on the topic so um but there are a lot of things like i said earlier that can cause infertility um some of them are certainly nutrition based and and some of them are not so um fertility is a is obviously a huge umbrella term that in cop or infertility is a huge term that encompasses a lot of different disorders um related to a woman's fertility and probably the most common of those is pcos so that's what Probably most people listening to this would be familiar with. So, a woman diagnosed with PCOS, her um, gonadotropin-releasing hormone balance is off, which throws off um, the development of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone in her, <clears throat> excuse me, in her pituitary gland, and ca- it causes her to be incapable of getting pregnant. So with PCOS in particular, there are, I mean, a laundry list of causes for it. So it could be genetics, um, a childhood trauma that you endured, a sedentary lifestyle, poor nutrition, obesity, environmental pollutants, like all of these things. So, um, and those reasons are all gonna be true of most causes of infertility. So um, I will speak, I assume the reason you have me on is to speak mostly about those sedentary lifestyle, poor nutrition, obesity, why those have an effect on these infertility disorders?
1: Yes. So when we in the context of what we're talking about, um, if you are someone who like, for whatever reason, you were born like infertile, or you got something going on, uh, the context of a lot of the context of this might not apply necessarily to you. Um, but if you're someone who is on un, that's unknown to you, whether you have an issue or not yet, yeah or nothing has popped up and, you know, maybe you're working on trying to have a child or you're just looking at your general health and things of that nature. That's kind of what we're going into. Um, And yes.
0: I would, um, and I would like to like, throughout the course of the conversation, speak to sort of two extremes. Um, So PCOS being probably the most common cause of infertility and can be caused certainly by a sedentary lifestyle, poor nutrition and obesity. What I was diagnosed with back in 2018 was, was something very different and it had to do with the opposite. So my body fat got too low. um, I was experiencing amenorrhea and all of those things caused a hormonal disruption that caused my infertility. And so two very different disorders that resulted in the same thing and for very different reasons.
1: Yeah. So what was that? So what was that experience like? Like obviously you, you and Kyle have been married for some time. Um, like, was it we were, hey, we're trying and it's not working? Or like, what led to like, the discovery or how did you happen upon this?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking. So um, back in 2017, I had my birth control implant removed, and we decided to start trying to kind of casually trying to get pregnant. Um, and after just a few months, I skipped a period. And so I was like, Oh, I must be pregnant. And I took a pregnancy test. And it said I wasn't pregnant. And I was like, huh, that's strange. And so I took like two more and they all said I wasn't pregnant. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it was just, you know, kind of a fluke. And basically after that happened, my period never came back. And I didn't know that that was indicative of something else happening in my body for a really long time. Um, but basically we spent half of 2017 in the first half of 2018, trying to get pregnant and not succeeding. And I, I went through a series of doctors who all kind of just like upgraded me to the next level of specialist until I ended up um, at UNC Chapel Hill with a fertility specialist there who eventually diagnosed me with something called ho honi- um, hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. I know it sounds like I made it up, but I didn't. It's a real thing.
1: Is that so is that like one word or is that broken up?
0: It's two hypogonadotropic, hypogonadism. Two words. Jesus. Yeah um so that's what i was diagnosed with and basically it meant that i because prior to this prior to all this happening i had been on a ketogenic diet for a very specific purpose and it was to get to a very low body fat which i ended up surpassing um and the amount of stress that that ended up putting on my body was apparently too much for my own like body and hormones to handle and so in an effort to like conserve my body kind of cut the line of communication between my uh, pituitary gland and my ovaries. And so my pituitary gland stopped telling my ovaries to produce any hormones um, that would make me able to get pregnant. And that was the resultant diagnosis.
1: So that's awesome that you brought that up. Uh, we've talked about it before. There, there is certainly a cost uh, to getting lean. Um, and a lot of times it can throw your body into some disruption. So, just for for context, what what was the body fat that you had dropped to?
0: Yeah. Um. So I in like in about eighty days, I went down to twelve point five eight percent body fat according to skinfold calipers. Wow. And that was with a combination of being on a very strict ketogenic diet and working out seven days a week, like high intensity interval training. And I am not recommending this to anyone. It was not, not my best work, but, um, at the time it seemed like the right idea for what I was trying to accomplish. Um, but those two sources of stress on my body over the course of that 80 to 90 days, um, is what resulted in, in this.
1: What what was the, what was the reason that you went solo? Was it, was it like a test Were you, was it, yeah something coming up or like an event?
0: Um, so I have never, I have been in the fitness industry for over 13 years. I've never competed in bodybuilding or physique. And I don't think I could, like, I, I don't have that personality. I don't have that confidence at all. I just wanted to know, like, I wanted to feel what it felt like to work as hard as they worked. And mm. what would it take to be able to step on that stage? It was really just more of like a an experiment, a discipline thing, like it was just something I wanted to, I had no intentions of ever stepping on a stage. I just wanted to see if I could do it or like what it would feel like to do it.
1: And what, so aside from the topic that at hand, what did you learn from that process?
0: Um, that some people can't do things like that, or they will, uh, end up struggling with disordered eating for a long, long time. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: That's
1: what I learned. <laughs> that, that is one of the big things. Uh, I was talking to Craig uh, about his yeah, journey. With uh-huh. that and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were saying, it was like, I don't think, like, if, if, the, if the fate of Earth is on the line, I can lock in for that. You, you know me, I tend to be pretty dramatic um, if I'm going to commit to stuff. But I don't, uh, just on a, like a whim, I have no intention of competing on stage. It's just like power to anyone that does it. It's just never been really something that's interested me. Uh, and I like having a good relationship with food. So, yeah. you know, sometimes I might, you know, you might catch me eating some some things that you would consider, oh my God, why are you eating that? And like, hey, it is what it is. Uh, and, I, you know, I have fairly balanced for the most part, but uh, yeah, just, they just disordered anything. And then, cause I've, I've done it before, before I was a trainer, I'd be like, oh, what if I just like, you know, I should eat healthy. And you're taking information that I had no idea what I was talking about or what I was doing. And I had a tons of free time on my hands. So I was like, hey, let me try this out. This internet article said carbs are bad. And uh, I'm like, wow, like I'm miserable. Wait, no, that's bad. This is bad. If I go out to eat, like I can't touch that, or maybe I shouldn't go out to eat because then people are going to think I'm weird because I won't drink a beer like I used to, or anything like that. And that whole thing, I would just rather not do the mental gymnastics that, that come along with it.
0: Yeah, Anthony, I, I feel all of that for sure. I, I'm my own personality type is very much like a, a black or white, hot or cold, you know, zero or one hundred, and. Doing that back in 2017, and then the aftermath of it, just like further proved that point. Like it's, it took years for me to get back to like a somewhat healthy relationship with food. And I work in nutrition, and once ran a nutrition department. So,
1: yeah, that's a very subtle nod to black and white there. Nice job. Not a sponsor. (laughs) Yes, not this is not an ad. Hashtag ad. Um, So going through that, so when you find out, so you go, so you obviously you're dealing with your your little experiment. Sounds like you completed your experiment, but you did learn, um, you know, one of those things where it's the the cost. So flashing forward and you find out that you've got the diagnosis, like what, what was that like?
0: That was, I mean, it was pretty short, like soul crushing. Like I, I was so ashamed um, that. Because what it and I'm not saying that this is the truth, but I'll just relay like what it felt like at the time, what it felt like at the time when I got that diagnosis and they were like, this is why this happened, was that I was so selfish that I cared more about, you know, what, you know, what I could make my body look like or what I could make it do um, than I did about like my family or my our ability to start a family. And not that I knew that at the time, but. I mean, the aftermath of it was just extremely personal and dark, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I bet. So when you get the diagnosis, and then it's time to go from where you were to where you are, uh, or where it could happen, um, what were some things that you that you sought out and worked on and added into into your lifestyle?
0: So this is the part of my story that is extremely antidotal, and you're probably not going to be able to like take it and use it for your own like Help because it involved a global pandemic, um, but the the UNC special, fertility specialist told me that the damage like done to my hormones and to the communication cord between my pituitary gland and my ovaries was was irreversible. So basically, I mean, he essentially said you have no hope of getting pregnant unless you do IVF. Um, you're never going to get pregnant on your own because this has happened. Was was the message that that I had received back in two thousand and eighteen. So, um, we at that, so there was a time of grief and a time of like coming to terms with that reality. Um, and also during that time in 2018, I was in therapy for disordered eating. Um, but not necessarily so that I could get pregnant because I was given to understand that I wasn't going to be able to get pregnant anyway. I was just trying to come back to a, a healthier relationship with food and with my own body at that time. So throughout that whole season of like acceptance um and finding balance again we decided that we didn't want to do ivf that we rather adopt later in life and um so into 2019 we were um we were looking at that and then in 2020 when we were about to start like applying to adoption agencies this little thing happened i don't i don't know if you've heard of it it's called covid and um Mm. it sort of disrupted our lives a little bit um so on march 17th or on march 16th of 2020 i was told um, not to come back to work i've worked at lifetime athletic for the past eight years and at the time of the pandemic i was the nutrition program coordinator there and i ended up being furloughed along with everyone else for six months and when i was brought back i wasn't brought back as um, head of the nutrition department anymore i was just brought back as a trainer with the goal that like, as revenue started to build back up, that I could like earn my job back if I wanted it was, was basically what happened. Um, and I say all that to say that when the pandemic hit and I was told not to come back to work, I was at the time working like 60 to 70 hours a week, um, in like a pretty stressful, like management position. Um, and I was still trying to find like balance in my life with, with my eating, with, with everything that I was doing. So when everything came to a crashing halt in March of that year, suddenly I was at home with my dogs and I didn't have a 60 to 70 hour per week management job. And I hiked with them every day and I gained some weight and I drank a lot of red wine and I stopped. I wasn't in the fitness industry for six months. Like I wasn't surrounded. I wasn't in a gym. I wasn't surrounded by... Um, better bodies and, you know, comparison and stuff like that. And by the end of the furlough, we went back, I went back to work on August 26th, 2020, I believe. Um, And I I got pregnant three days later. So.
1: Do you think, uh, and as we remember the great pandemic of 2020, uh, which turns out the, the, we've talked I, I try not to spend too much time talking in that period of time, with the exception of things that sprouted out of that area, uh, or out of that that time period. Um, One of the things that I've talked about with other trainers too during that time, we're all grinding away. And then we take our head from the grindstone, we kind of look up and see the world and be like, Oh, like, we don't have to go 10 million miles an hour, or there is this little thing called life, or maybe I do want to take up knitting or spend more time with my family and stuff like that. Do you think if that didn't happen, L would have happened.
0: I don't. You know, L is my daughter. By the way. Everyone. Oh yes, yes, yes.
1: yes. The, the very iconic L. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. No. Uh. One thousand percent. I don't. I don't think my body would have ever recovered had that not happened. It's a
1: nice little silver lining there. And then, of course, yeah. fun fact for you listeners out there: I predicted the date of birth.
0: <laughs> you did. It's true. Anthony did get it right.
1: Yeah, we had the uh what do you have like the birth pool and yeah it's one of the it's the holiday in May right
0: uh May seventh so it actually she wasn't born on um, cinco de mayo isn't that you did you predict the seventh or did you predict
1: I predict I predict, I know it was a holiday weekend and I predicted that so I was the earliest
0: Oh you predict that's what it was so Elle was born on a Friday and you had predicted Mother's Day, which was two days later that Sunday yes, there it is so you were the closest.
1: Yes, very often the most ironic outcome usually is the one that uh, the universe is going to go with.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So that's awesome. So you, you get this big break in your stressful job. Life gets a lot less stressful um, and your body starts to heal and you have that happen. Um, so, what, so going from there and obviously like we worked together at this time, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: you became pregnant, you still worked. Um, you also exercised throughout your pregnancy, right? I did, yes. Tell me about that. Cause there were a couple days, cause like I've never, I I generally would not train a pregnant woman. Um, not as a, not because I don't want to, just because I wouldn't necessarily feel super comfortable doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. To
1: say I would usually refer that out to a specialist or someone who has experience in that. So um, what was that like, like going through that?
0: Yeah. And that's, it's gonna be another area where like everybody's experience is very differ- di- um, different from each other. And so I'm not trying to like, speak an umbrella over everybody and say that my experience is is what your experiences should be or is going to be um but i was extremely blessed in that i was able to work out throughout my entire pregnancy so that is not that is a luxury not afforded to all pregnant women and i i understand that fully Uh, so the first trimester i was extremely tired anybody that's ever been pregnant will understand like the level of fatigue i'm talking about is like there is nothing like it Um, and so my workouts existed, but they were, I mean, it was like wading through like, sand, like, it, there, it, there was certainly nothing highly intense about any of it. Um, but I was able to move. Now, when I hit my second trimester, and then, thankfully, all the way through my third, I felt, I felt really great. And so I, I mean, on Thursday, May sixth, I was deadlifting like one fifty five for five for five sets. Hell yeah! Um, and then I went into labor the next morning. So that was my like my experience with pregnancy and working out is, I mean, again, just extremely blessed. Like I was able to pretty much after I got through the first trimester, work out the same way I had been working out prior to pregnancy throughout the course of like the rest of my pregnancy.
1: Yeah, I remember. There's a couple of moments of your of your pregnancy that I remember pretty vividly. Um, I was training one of my male clients, and we were deadlifting, and you were also deadlifting, and you were deadlifting more than him, but you were showing. <laughs> and he's like, "Good." He's like, "Jesus Christ! Like, what's going on right now?" Like, like, he's like, "Is she okay? Is she gonna be okay?" And he's like, "Yeah, man. Yeah." It was like a perfect moment. We're like, hey, there's the benchmark. Like, you got to beat her, and like that was awesome. And then uh, watching you do Pilates while pregnant. Yeah. was like that was like a mind bender for me because i was like concerned i was like hey should you be doing you know
0: yeah that's actually that's a good point thanks for bringing that i did not do pilates prior to getting pregnant but my good friend and your friend danielle um runs the pilates uh studio at lifetime and so i came to her once i found out i was pregnant and it was extremely like i was so concerned about labor and like how i was gonna handle it that i wanted to do like literally anything i could to help the process. And so I asked her to train me um, once a week, like uh, reformer Pilates. And it I you know, I don't know what my labor would have been like without it. But I am I am so grateful to have done it. Pilates was a game changer for me.
1: Uh, Just and by all means, you cannot answer the question if you don't want to. How long was your labor?
0: Um, Again, some people that have been pregnant are gonna like want to like come and find me after this. Um My labor was very blissfully eight hours and 15 minutes from my first contraction till L was born.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, we're moving. Which
0: is extremely short. Uh
1: According to my mother, and, and this probably skewed my view of it growing up. It was like four days of labor. Um, and then <laughs> after I hit like 22 or like something happened or I was getting on her nerves. He's like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. I I was in labor for a week. I was in labor for two weeks. Um, so I never really have any accurate context on like when someone's in labor, They're like, oh, it must have took you a couple of days. And
0: <laughs> it does take some people a couple of days, and those are the people that are gonna want to like come and beat me up when they hear this podcast. Um, I feel tremendously grateful. I labored at home for five hours and from the time I checked in uh, at triage to the time I gave birth was just over three hours. So wow. I couldn't have asked for a better experience.
1: That's quicker than some of the runs I've been on.
0: Well, I think, you know, I really do think it was like grace upon grace to me, because I really, for my own personal reasons, I wanted to try not to have an epidural, like I'm not against them, like birth is still birth, like you are still a superwoman for like going through that does not matter whether or not you have an epidural, I just wanted to give it a go. Um, And I think that like, the universe knew. I couldn't have handled much more than three hours of intense labor before I gave up and got the epidural. So um, I don't think it's a testament to my strength at all. I think it was actually just like knowing how much I could handle.
1: Which is always a good thing. You always wonder how much you can take.
0: About three hours of hard labor. That's about how I <laughs> <I'm> take. <taking. laughs>
1: sounds, like, sounds like a good trade off from what I've heard. Um, so when you look at lifestyle factors that are affecting fertility,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right now, when we look at fertility statistics, typically, we're looking at women of childbearing age, which is about 20 to 40, 42, somewhere around there, depending who you ask, that number might shift um, a little bit. And currently, some form of infertility currently affects about 20 to 30% of women. Um, And disclaimer, uh, for all you gentlemen out there, about 50% of infertility issues within people that are trying is ascribed to men. So this doesn't just go for females. However, the context of what we're talking about, we're, we are using a female example, but um, so what are some lifestyle factors that affect it and how can we start to take steps to improve some of that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the number one, the number one recommendation that's like an umbrella for the rest of the recommendations is that your body needs to be like, as balanced as possible. It's like you need a good nutrient status, your hormones need to be working appropriately. Without either of those two things. You can't I mean, you can't possibly expect your body to do the most complex thing that it's capable of doing. So there's a lot underneath those two things. But I would say nutrient status and hormonal balance are the two biggest things.
1: And when we look at uh nutrient balance, like how might we best go about attacking that? Cause when I was doing my research, I saw various things. Um, there's definitely, obviously you have some supplementation, you have treatments and such, uh, dietary wise, looking at the Mediterranean diet, uh, gets a lot of call outs. However, that happens to be the most common diet ever. So it's kind of like an easy answer there, I guess, to yeah. say the least. Um, so what are what are your thoughts on that?
0: So, um, The general recommend like, regardless of the cause of your infertility, the general nutritional and like exercise recommendations are, are, are basically the same. Eat more protein, eat minimally processed foods, eat a wide variety of like colorful fruits and vegetables, prioritize healthy fats. It's the same stuff that like we talk to our like apparently healthy clients about every single day. So some of those baseline things, are just true no matter what you're trying to accomplish. But particularly if you're struggling with fertility, they they definitely need to be top tier priorities for you.
1: Um, so when I was looking at, uh, so sorry about if on the listeners end if this sounds a little jumbled, but um, when I was looking at data, uh, I started to look at some studies that tested uh, that were looking at men and we're seeing sperm quality count volume and things like that and some of the things that affected them. Um, And now, obviously, these studies are very small, some of them are very limited. Um, It's obviously something that the data would indicate that it needs more studying. Uh, But in some of them, it seemed um, what the data suggested was you had physical inactivity, sedentaryism, and obesity seem to be correlated with individuals who had lower sperm counts, uh, lower rate, lower uh, instances of fertility. Bringing them back to what would be maybe a normal level of activity or a baseline foundation, or getting their BMI back in line, seemed to improve their sperm count, their fertility, how healthy their reprodu- how healthy they were reproductively. However, if people were already fit and healthy, more activity didn't seem to correlate to healthier outcomes um, in some of the populations, um, specifically those of uh, when you look at like bikers. Cyclists and stuff like that they seem to have issues with it obviously you're sitting you know in a very uncomfortable position for me anyway um but that kind of sport and some elite athletes had them um with the exception of the population that's on steroids so on steroids people who came off so steroids can obviously cause reproductive issues uh, that's kind of a topic not necessarily looking to go all the way down that rabbit hole because there's. That could be its own entire it's episode, own
0: Podcast, yeah. Um,
1: but it's, they looked at individuals who had exposure to them from ranging from six months to 13 years. And when they came off of it, in some instances, they were able to come back to the norm, uh, coming off of steroids and things like that. Um, the other thing too, that was very interesting uh, data wise, sperm concentration went up around 43% in a few studies in men that were viewed as infertile and seeking treatment. Right. so again that goes to the data where it's not a baseline person it's someone who is aware that they have an issue and they're looking to correct it and it helped them um, get back to the norm so it's very interesting when you look at everything pretty much everything in society at this point uh, exercise and diet and nutrition seem to go hand in hand uh, with getting the body to kind of do you know what we want it to do
0: yeah i'd like to um kind of along that same note, just call out a few potential um, nutrient deficiencies that have been known in several studies or like seen in several studies to play a role in endocrine issues, like particularly things like hypothyroidism, but other fertility issues as well. Um, Iodine is the biggest one. So the American diet does not get enough iodine. That's why most of our salt is iodized. Um, So we're typically okay, so long as you salt your food. Um, but if you like only use uh, sea salt, then you're not getting as much iodine. So that's a really big one because if your um, if your thyroid doesn't have enough iodine, it can't produce all of like its hormones like pretty much at all. So um, iodine is a really big one. Iron, selenium, zinc, copper. Yeah, copper, and then one amino acid uh, amino acid uh, tyrosine those have all been like deficiencies in those have been known to cause things like hypothyroidism and other fertility struggles.
1: And whatever she said, yeah. <laughs> she's got, she's got the data. She's got the good stuff on here. She,
0: she She's actually the expert we should have her on.
1: Yeah. She'd probably have a lot to say, but she wouldn't be sitting down. She would be standing on things
0: yes, and climbing.
1: So I think, I think we've saved humanity here today
0: i'm pretty sure yeah
1: yeah for sure um so like we were saying right we are not medical experts we are trainers nutrition coaches with personal experience with the topic at hand her more so than i um so if you found the information helpful definitely look into it more i strongly recommend doing your own research as uh, claire has attested to um and definitely seeking you know, medical advice if it's something that you yourself are struggling with uh, but definitely a good a good context to look at it, right? So when you pair that with how I view, you know, fertility and birth rates, as far as like civilization and do we have enough people just to run the day to day, it definitely sheds some light on it. And when you look at some of the risks, some of the things that can be associated with a, a loss in fertility, you have things affecting all of us. Like you know, we spend more time today than we did in 1960 sitting around. Uh, whether it be at a desk, whether it be in a car, whether it be working uh, or whether it just be watching TV, uh, you have the instance of smoking, you have more processed foods. Um, I think and even even at baseline, you talked about how a lot of these things, when we talk to our clients regularly, we're like, hey, like you should be, You know, here's some things to be have on your radar. Um, the processed foods are probably like the biggest thing, I think with all of us that, that we have, it's almost unavoidable the way um, our, we've grown economically and ag- agriculturally, so even when you look at that top 10 list, right that those top tens, those those diets ha- are going to be very very closer or I can't talk, those diets are going to be much closer uh, to a whole food diet than what we have in the bottom 10. The um, United States was on either of those lists We somewhere. In the
0: middle.
1: We're somewhere in the middle, but closer to the bottom.
0: Can I add in one more thing? Is it too late? Um, but on the, like, on the topic of like the processed foods, um, like similar, but different, but endocrine disruptors, um, in our, in the products that we, that we use every day can also play a role. Like it's, it's definitely a rabbit hole if you choose to go down it and it will, it will make you scared to like use soap or your lotion or anything. So like proceed with caution, but endocrine disruptors are found in everything from like our food to our personal care products, to, um, like plastic, to, like everything that surrounds us could contain potentially an endocrine disruptor. And so that's, again, could be its own podcast. But um being mindful of those things as well. And the quality of like the things that you're using in your home uh, is is worthy of your consideration and time and research.
1: Yeah, uh, I had a friend once, uh, who will not be named, um, but used to point it out all the time, where it was like, hey, that cup you're using has is endocrine disruptors. Right. So like, oh okay. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. So like, oh, what kind of to- what kind of toothpaste do you use? So this one? Like, oh, that has endocrine. This and then it was like my toothpaste, my detergent, my t-shirt, my pants, the sneakers, like the air. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, everything is just <laughs> everything yeah. is apparently disrupting my endocrine system.
0: Yeah. Things like um flame retardants and uh, BPA, which you see BPA free stamped everywhere now but and then phytoestrogens those are the big ones that are, could play a role potentially in your fertility so phytoestrogens just worthy of note are found in soy so if you are a vegan or vegetarian you consume a lot of soy that might be worthy of your your consideration as well
1: So I'm glad you brought this up vegetarians Yeah I did see a study Um, But I didn't see enough of it to really kind of conclusively say, but I did see one particular study that did check fertility rates in lifetime vegetarians versus non-vegetarians, and it was lower in vegetarians. Mm, Um, Is that that something you have any insight on or info or like?
0: The only insight, the only real insight I would have is that this is, and again, this is not a blanket statement, it's not true of all vegetarians, but many vegetarians don't eat enough protein. They might have like a lower muscle mass in general. Um, They probably maybe eat a lot of soy. So they are consuming more phytoestrogens in their diet on a daily basis than the standard American diet would. And they might be uh, deficient in that uh, that amino acid tyrosine, which can play a role in your ability to get pregnant. So because that's an essential amino acid that is found in meat.
1: Huh, Meat wins again. <laughs>
0: it's not what I said. <laughs> you heard it here again, first. Uh, veget- vegetarians, don't come after me, please.
1: <laughs> oh, I've said worse. Don't worry.
0: I know. I listen to your podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. There, some of the, the change in... I almost blurted out ideology there, but I I, I, I want to be super respectful of someone who's following a vegetarian diet um, yeah. because there are tremendous health, health benefits to having it. but the change in how it's viewed and how it's kind of a I wouldn't say attacked, but debated against um, Mm -hmm. has changed significantly. Like there's a ton of data coming out um, that shows that maybe balance was the answer all along. Um,
0: What? No, right?
1: Who (laughs) would have thought somewhere in the middle like, you know, um, that old adage, you know, hey, have good protein, drink water and make your play colorful. What do you know, it's incredible advice
0: rocket science. Yeah. So controversial. No, yeah, I think I mean, those are all really good points. But regardless of what diet you adhere to, like you can optimize that diet for the sake of your own fertility is is what I would leave it at.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah, if you are not familiar with the Mediterranean diet, and you are someone who is looking to improve your chances of reproducing, I am not recommending the diet. I'm recommending that you look into the diet. So you can see the themes as soon as you go through the diet, you'll understand themes, you have good fiber, you have good omega threes, right, good fatty acids, a lot of the diet is going to be whole food based. Um, So your overall nutrient intake is going to skyrocket. If you're if no matter what diet you're on, really, which is why it's one of the most popular ones.
0: I would piggyback off of that and say, to look into blue zones and what that lifestyle looks like the again not I'm not this is not an ad but the the blue zone philosophy constitutes nine different like aspects of life like long life and vitality three of them are nutrition based and the other six are not they're just like they're lifestyle based but these are all qualities that um that these researchers have attributed to living a long and and healthy life and i think those can be very easily placed aside um fertility and you could you could take a lot of those things as well and i mean most of that overlaps with mediterranean diet principles
1: yeah the the thing i found interesting about the blue zones too is they're kind of like such a good tight-knit community like you got like community is
0: every- one of a it's one of the nine pillars yeah, yeah mm-hmm. every
1: everyone has a role yeah, in this society. So like, it's very mm-hmm. common, you'll see like a 90 year old person working the fields or doing some job that's essential for the community survival, um, which is pretty awesome.
0: Do you want to know my what I find most interesting about the Blue Zones? What's that? They picked nine pillars and only three of those pillars are nutrition based. And one of those three is red wine consumption.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, true. One of them is in Italy and you got a that Mediterranean circle there
0: of the four or of the five original blue zones four of them the only exception being the um, community in loma linda california uh, the adventist community the other four all drank on average two glasses of red wine or some other spirit daily
1: i wonder where bourbon falls on that category That's awesome. Yeah. You're here to hear folks here here. First folks, uh, red wine is the key to the answer to everything.
0: I mean, one, one could make the argument. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So I'm going to need your top five exercises for muscle growth, All right. You're on a deserted island. You can only take five with you. What are they?
0: Do I have a barbell on the island?
1: You have access to whatever you say these exercises are and what you need to set them up
0: for muscle growth.
1: Yep. Or let's you can use muscle growth, strength, overall health. um, Anything like that?
0: Oh, my answer is gonna be really boring, Anthony. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. Squat deadlift, lunge, chest press, overhead press.
1: Mm, I I
0: might slip out chest press for a row of some sort. Hmm. But
1: that's, I mean, that's a pretty solid, that's a pretty solid top five.
0: Yeah. No, no gimmicks here.
1: Nothing you said involves a BOSU ball, so.
0: No, I'm a boring barbell trainer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's usually the most productive way to go about it. All right. So it has been great chatting with you about this issue. Um, thank you for coming on value our time spent together. Um the next hour is gonna be all Taylor Swift.
0: All right. I am so ready.
1: <laughs> all right, top five Taylor Swift songs go. I was
0: gonna say I thought you were gonna say top five Taylor Swift songs, which would be way harder.
1: All right, let's go. What are the top five?
0: Oh Anthony, I don't know. All too well 10 minute version is number one. Okay. Uh Exile with Bonavere has to be it this is me personally. This is not an objective list. Um but I love sad. Sad, sad, sad girl Taylor. So Um, All Too Well 10, Exile, Coney Island with The National, Long Live. Mm, It's too hard. It's too hard. New Year's Day. Okay. I I would amend this 18 times over, except for the first two, probably. But...
1: Yeah, we what we could do is probably dub this in its own uh, channel here. So you're arguing with yourself about the top five.
0: Oh, I would love that. (laughs) I would listen to that podcast.
1: (laughs) We could use use AI to recreate your voice after feeding it this hour of speaking. And then you can can argue (laughs) with yourself.
0: I'm here for it. Just tell me when to come back.
1: Yeah, we have to set that up once Taylor Swift becomes a trillionaire. Oh like what do you think would she like, what do you think would happen if she went on tour just again?
0: Well she is. She starts back this week in Argentina.
1: Yeah, but like well she, this is her South American tour, right? That's well
0: it, yeah, it is the start of her international. That's like what it I was,
1: tour. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Um, thank you for I'm glad we stumbled upon this. I was reading an article the other day. There are people, I believe they're in, they're somewhere in South America. I don't want to miss, it might be Mexico, it might be Brazil. They've been waiting, camped out um, for general admission seats since June. Like, like we are in November. That is five months of living out of a tent at the stadium to be first in line for the general admission seats uh, for the Taylor Swift concert. And it's not like one person, like it's almost like a village now. It might be a blue zone now.
0: Who can say? Um, I would say hashtag worth it. I mean, if you can get your butt in a seat at the Aeris tour before this thing is over, which it's going to go a whole nother year, I recommend you do it.
1: Yeah, I might have to I might have to make this happen. You should. Yeah, Now that the crew is expanding for the podcast, bring the whole staff, just me and the one other person go see Taylor Swift. (laughs)
0: Wait, one of you have to have a lottery for your podcast guests so that I stand a chance at being able to come too.
1: It is a very good call. I like that. We have to make this happen.
0: I support it hundred percent.
1: All righty. Thanks for coming on. I've loved our time. Until next time, I'll see y'all later.
0: Thanks so much for having me.